Hi, this is presenter Kate O'Halloran, and this is the podcast of Kick Like a Girl, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R during the AFLW season. Kick Like a Girl dissects the week in AFLW with stars and fans of the game and focuses not just on the action on field, but the politics off it. We hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Kick Like a Girl's Facebook page, Twitter or website. And before we get stuck in, I'd like to say a big welcome to my regular co-host, Emily. I've lost track of how many weeks you've been on in a row. Hi, Kate. <laughs> how you going? Good, good. It's uh, always good to take a big, deep breath after a big week of football. And, uh, yeah. I know, it's exhausting, isn't it? <laughs> Um, so we've got a lot happening today. We're going to firstly uh, review the round four action. Uh, we're going to vote on our prestigious Aaron Phillips Appreciation Award. You did a couple of post-match interviews. We had Vivian Saad from North Melbourne and Gemma Houghton from Fremantle. You went to the cream of the crop there. Um, and we'll also have our Voices from the Stands regular segment from Kirby Fenwick, who was also at the Kangaroos Gold Coast came, the first one at Arden Street. And then I did a long-gish interview with Gold Coast star and obstetrician by trade, Tiana Ernst. I hope you uh, tune in for that one because she spoke a lot about balancing those two things, actually. And then, of course, we'll have our Darcy Vessio Smash the Patriarchy segment and a quick preview of round five. Shall we get started? Let's go. <laughs> All right. Um, so, round four, we're literally at the halfway mark of the season and have a pretty good idea of where people may finish i think we've got a pretty good idea about everyone's brand of football now four Mm. weeks in four weeks to go Mm -hmm. and the ladder is probably actually starting to reflect that now Mm. Uh, there's still plenty of opportunities for to chop and change as the uh over the next four weeks but yeah some teams are setting a pace and some teams are dropping off now and maybe we saw that on friday night Mm. so our opening game was the uh Marvel Stadium bush, bushfire fundraiser double header, and the Demons came out on top seven four forty six to Collingwood four two twenty six. What do you make of this one? Um, Melbourne just are so solid across every single line, mm. and I think that was really important in this game. Uh, Collingwood didn't play poorly. I don't mm. think they just didn't seem to be able to get the scores on the board. They are relying an awful lot on midfielders to kick goals, mm. and their midfield against was incredibly powerful. Benici and Lambert and Davy racking up a billion touches again, like they have as usual. But yeah, that forward line's pretty young, and Sarah Darcy's showing a little bit. Um, Geordie Allen's showing a little bit, but I think they might need a couple more years under their belt. And mm. it was a very, very seasoned Melbourne's defence as well, which didn't really help them. But yeah, Melbourne seemed to have found their rhythm now. Not to mention the awful injury, actually, to Ash Brazel. Um, we haven't got any confirmation on that yet, I think, but it looks pretty likely that she's done an ACL. It sounds pretty bad. And it's a real shame, too, because being a dual sport athlete, she's so powerful and important in netball as well. And um, it's it's going to be devastating for both football and netball to see her miss well, probably she, a, mm. a few months, if not a year or so, of football. So. Yeah, she was due to play in the Diamonds All-Stars game, which actually had a great crowd, 12,500 in Sydney. But, you know, we are talking football. So uh, next game was in Bendigo, actually, at the beautiful ground there. I love the grandstand. Uh, Cats had their first win of the season, 10-7-67 to 7-3-45 Richmond. Richmond seemed to be performing better, but the fact that Geelong were able to put up their best score they've ever had by half time means that we've really got to start looking at what Richmond's brand is, what their processes are. They mm. they have some absolute superstars and they've got some good young talent, but 
nothing is working. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say about the Tigers. There was quite a lot of hype about this team coming into this season, and you, you'd have to say right now that they are underperforming. Underperforming. Well, they're the they're the very bottom of the ladder. So mm, yeah, I don't think um, the club would be too happy internally. Courtney Wakefield though popped up with three goals, which was a fair effort, and it looks like a great crowd. But they haven't given us an official figure yet. But um, I think it was well attended anyway. It looked Bendigo. like there was a lot of people there on the TV. I'd, I'd say that they just didn't bother having anyone on the gates with the clickers counting <laughs> yeah. them coming in. So yeah, yeah, it seems like a shame. Uh, all right, let's move on to the game we were both at in person. Uh, Kangaroos. Gold Coast first game at Arden Street for AFLW. Uh, Kangas got across the line just really six eleven forty seven to five four thirty four. Gold Coast really pushed them right to the end. Uh, it really could have gone either way. Like it was all Gold Coast in that last quarter too, actually. And North Melbourne managed to get a sneaky goal against the play and and kind of put the game to bed. Um, it was really cool being at a game at Arden Street, mm. but having said that, I don't think it's a ground that should be geared towards elite football this is the aflw and um it it did have that really good suburban vibe but the facility is probably not up to the standard of what we expect at a game so hopefully they can either invest in that ground Mm. and lift that standard or hopefully they'll be able to move to other places but it was good being at arden street there was a good vibe it was a it was a bit hard actually they made us all stand single file on the fence and there was nowhere really to stand and you just were constantly in the way in the sun no shade no seats no grandstand Um, yeah so (laughs) yeah it wasn't ideal uh, and then uh, the Eagles got up for their first win of the season just again by four points against my Bulldogs. Very yeah. heartbreaking. Four six thirty to three eight twenty six. It was a heartbreaking loss for the Western Bulldogs too. West Coast were they kind of been building a little bit. They'll probably due. Emma Swanson and Dana Hooker couldn't do any more for mm. last month, so everyone seemed to lift around them and. Yeah, doggies are in tears after the game. Yeah, there are a few, including Kirsten McLeod, who who missed that shot from about um, 45 out with a minute to go, I think. Um, yeah, I really felt for her. She played such a good game, was dangerous up forward all match, and <clears throat> I think the team in general was shattered to lose that one. Mm, and Bonnie too, good going down with injury. Let's hope that's not as bad as it looked either. Oh, what do you think that one? Did you think ACL, or what were you thinking? I'm not going to make judgments. Mm. Uh, it's too hard to tell, but it's with the, the team, the, the way they've lost so much high-end mm. talent over the last 24 months in particular, you, these players like Izzy Huntington, Bonnie Taunt, too good, mm. Brooke Lachlan, and Ellie Blackburn, you need these guys to stay healthy because mm. otherwise the kids have to do too much of it on their own. Yes, but it was great to see the Eagles celebrate their first win. They were very excited singing the song. I mean, we saw it with St Kilda the week before, so, yeah, I was, I was happy for them even though I was shattered about our loss. Uh, <clears throat> Adelaide... And Carlton, the grand final rematch, Aaron Phillips returned, but it was Carlton who got the win, 5-6-36 to 4-4-28. Carlton are the real deal. You have to say it now. They are the real deal. That midfield is powerful. Taylor Harris is taking her game to another level again. That mm. back line was incredible. Kez Harrington, I think, had 12 marks for the game. It was just constant. And, but Carlton played really smart football, a lot of short kicks they were always looking for that hit up target they really outpossessed Adelaide which is impressive because when Marinov and Hatchard get a billion touches each every week <laughs> yeah um the Blues are able to keep it away and keep Adelaide from getting dangerous so yeah uh, the system seems to be working at Carlton oh I thought they looked really well drilled coach they switched the ball well they hit up players they kicked short yeah I thought they did all the right things and um Adelaide just couldn't 
couldn't pull themselves across the line. And one one game under the belt now for Erin Phillips, so we'll expect better things week on week. <laughs> well, she as was the already goes. she was already everywhere. I thought they'll probably you know park her up forward and she won't be in the midfield. But within about five minutes, I think she'd promoted herself yeah, you to midfield. Stop <laughs> um, and then a, another game you were at. Um, oh, the Saints nearly pulled off another boil over, but they ended up losing by a point. Um, three six twenty four the Dockers to three five twenty three, and um, we had a terrible fifty meter penalty that probably lost the game. I'd say it was it was really interesting being there. Like I try to be impartial when I go to games of football, <laughs> but I couldn't help but getting swept up in this St Kilda wave oh. as the crowd was really getting in. And then when that final siren went, I've never heard such silence oh, well. at a football game before, and. It was almost like a pall over the ground, except for the travelling Dockers fans or the the expat Western Australians in Melbourne. They obviously had a great celebration and it was an incredible win by Fremantle, but... Poor Molly McDonald. She was crying after the game too, I And she had a really good game too. She was impressive all day. I mean, you couldn't have said that it wasn't a 50-metre penalty, but it just, you know, you can can tell she just did it without thinking and it's a harsh penalty. No, but you've got to think... Like, I know. It's it's pretty much one of the easiest things to coach is the rules. So Yeah, yeah. Not saying there's any excuse, but you could just tell that it was just totally it's reflex, you know. Anyway. Uh and uh Kiara Bowers continues to dominate the tackle count for this season. I, I think, think she, she had another eleven or twelve on the weekend. She now has fifty eight on the year. Yep. Uh leading the next best players who are twenty eight each. So <laughs> thirty um, tackles ahead of anyone else. That's insane. It is. It's incredible. I don't understand what she does to put so many tackles and so much defensive pressure into the game to be twice as good as anyone else in the AFLW. Well, she's really Um, taken over Ed Marinoff's um, title there. Yeah. Mm. All right, we've got one more game. Got plenty to get through today. So uh, impressive win again by the undefeated Lions, 7-9-51 to 3-5-23, the Giants. They just keep rolling along, don't they? <laughs> They've been so good. Considering the calibre of players they lost, particularly to the Gold Coast, it's been an unreal season. Yeah, and I think Gold Coast performances are reflected in the fact mm. that these players they've got from Brisbane were really high-quality players. Mm. And Gold Coast have been able to build a core around that, yet Brisbane doesn't seem to have lost their core themselves. And if anything, there's these players stepping up now that mm. haven't really played much football before that should be household names by the end of the year. Brisbane... Could be playing in their, what, third grand final in four years. Yeah. And maybe win their first premiership. Oh, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves um, here. So, like, <laughs> finals is only four weeks away. No, It no. might be halfway through the season, but it is. You're right. It's, it's only, only been month four away. rounds, but it is halfway. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, you are on Triple R's Kick Like Girl, AFLW Radio. It's about 13 past 12, and we are going to uh, talk about our 3 2 1 for the week. I declare the winner of the Aaron Phillips, the best and fairest. Um, all right, you're first, Emily. Who's your Aaron Phillips, best and fairest for the Three week? Three votes to Kathy Svark at Brisbane. Uh, she had a mountain of the ball. Her job was to tag Alice Parker and kept her to only about 10 touches and racked up an awful lot herself and had two goals and did everything. It was one of the best all-round performances of the year so far. Uh, my two votes went to Emma Swanson. I just thought... Her work in West Coast was one of the big reasons they got their first ever win. And one vote to Emma Carney. She's just having another amazing season. We kind of forget how good she is because she just does it every week. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was uh, another level again on 
Saturday. A victim of her own lofty success, I think, sometimes when it comes to the votes. Um, I had similar, well, uh, the the one we agreed on was Cathy Spark from Brisbane. Um, 23 disposals, 11 tackles, two goals and tagged Parker. <laughs> like, I just don't think you could get a better performance than that, really. Uh, I actually gave two to Maddie Prasparkas probably in part because I overlooked her in the last few weeks when I thought she's been outstanding all season and I just thought grand final rematch stakes couldn't have been higher. She was the best on ground in my opinion, although Vessio as well popped up in the back line and was amazing. Um, But, yeah, Prasparks had 20 disposals, 14 kicks and a goal and I gave one to Karen Paxman. Again, Paxi probably deserved votes earlier than this point in the season, just continues to rack them up. 24 disposals, 17 kicks, five marks, three tackles. Um, but, yeah, we could have given a lot of different votes this week. Monconti had 28 disposals. Emma Carney, as you said, 26. I really liked Dana Hooker's game, 19 disposals, nine tackles she had. So it's a hard one to vote on that one. Uh, we're going to let our fans vote for their 3-2-1 again this week. And I should say that we have the results from last week. So our fan votes were 3 to Kate Lutkins, 2 to Jamie Lambert and 1 tied to Ed Marinoff and Caitlin Greiser last week. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. So two post-match interviews with you, Emily. You had Vivian Saad from North Melbourne and Gemma Houghton from Fremantle. You're with Emily Fox on Kick Like a Girl and today I'm in the North Melbourne rooms after North Melbourne's incredible victory over the Gold Coast Suns with Viv Saad. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was an amazing game of football out there today. Gold Coast really pushed us for four quarters. Was that a mindset you had to come into to know that these guys were going to really give it a go and potentially get over the line? Yeah, we sort of expected it, but obviously it's tougher when you're out there um, and you don't quite know what sort of intensity or pressure they're going to bring. But yeah, um, we kind of expected it and we tried to outdo that. Um, but we got the win, so that's positive. That's all we can trade. Yeah. Well, and the other thing was this game was really fast. Watching it from the boundary line, it was really fast, back and forth all day. Were you blowing up by the end? Like, how did you feel? Yeah, it was a struggle. <laughs> Credit to the girls for sticking through it for four quarters. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely tough. And it's obviously a lot tougher when you're out there. Um, but, yeah, we got through it as a team and as one. So that's a positive. And you've come into this team as originally just a train-on player with North Melbourne. And then Jess Duffin decided to go off and have babies. <laughs> yeah. So you're on the list and then you're thrown into the ruck. Yeah. Four games into your season. Do you have to pinch yourself? Yeah, um, it's definitely exceeded all of my like dreams and expectations of myself but um yeah it's honestly an honor just to be a part of the crew and the girls are so lovely which makes it a lot easier so I feel like I'm a part of the team now which is quite nice like they instantly made me feel comfortable when I was told that I'm in the squad um so it just makes it so much easier when you have a great bunch of girls and coaches and they have you in the ruck yeah in the ruck Uh, yeah it's a tough spot you're not exactly the tallest ruck in the AFLW. Um, So when you're bashing into people like Lauren Bella all day and you had Alice Edmonds the other week, you've had Erin McKinnon and Jess Allen at GWS, do you ever look down at Emma King in the square and just say, come on? Um, A few times I give her a sneaky look. Um, But I suppose the coaches have faith in me that it's not necessarily about your height, it's what you bring, your intensity, physicality, um, second efforts, third efforts. So um, even sort of playing that fourth mid if I can, I feel like I kind of bring that. And it's good having a group good bunch of midfields to back me in even though I might lose that tap well, but 
That's what I was going to say. As an observer of football for a long time, that's what you're bringing. Those defensive efforts, those second efforts after the hit out is probably where you're really making that impact. And it's probably that grunt work that's opening up a lot of play for Jenna Brute and Emma Kearney and Ash Riddell now. So is that something like you're thinking you belong in this space, that these guys are all superstar names, but your name belongs with them? Yeah, so it's obviously an honour being a part of them and working with them. Um, but like I honestly just play my role um, and try and help them to make it as easy as possible. Because at the end of the day, we're here for one one reason, and that's to win a premiership. So if I play my role and I can help them out, then that's job done for me, so it's a tip. And I was standing in the second half out on the uh, forward flank in the sun where there was about 50 people with T-shirts with your face on it <laughs> standing behind me, very passionately cheering. Is that, I'm assuming, your family and friends? Are... Yeah, so a combination of majority of my family but a lot of friends as well who are absolutely adore. So, yeah, they're, they're there, number one fans who I love and appreciate them supporting me and having my back. So they've been part of your football journey since day dot? Yeah, pretty much. Like, even growing up with my cousins who all played football and obviously we didn't sport football thing then so they've always been quite supportive to get amongst the boys and just kick around with them and they never excluded me which credit to them for like I appreciate them for pushing me to do to actually play the game give the crack so thanks to them and thanks to my family friends for being here and supporting me. Awesome Viv that's amazing go and enjoy your Gatorade and a nice bath. Awesome. You're on Kick Like a Girl on Triple R, and today I've got a very special guest. We've got Gemma Houghton from the Fremantle Dockers. How are you going? Good, thank you for having me. You guys have travelled out of Western Australia for the first time this year to Moorabbin Oval, and you've just managed to scrape over the line by a point. Is this a mood of celebration or a mood of relief? Uh, probably, probably relief. <laughs> um, credit to St Kilda, they they brought uh, the pressure and played really well for the four quarters, um, and it just came down to that last dying seconds, um, and we were just able to get over the top. You kicked uh, zero goals but three behinds today and you looked like you're on the verge of ripping the game apart every time you got your hands on the ball. But it just didn't quite happen for you today. How do you keep a mindset to just keep pushing and hopefully make that turn? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously footy's very unpredictable. You've got to make the most of your opportunities and uh, whether, you, whether you get that first mark or that first kick, uh, you've got to make sure that you continue to stay in a positive mindset. So it's just about resetting and going again. And uh, the weather kind of turned in the last quarter. It's stinking hot all day, but suddenly this cool breeze came into the fourth quarter. Did it kind of feel like you brought the Fremantle doctor over with you to help you <laughs> cross the line? I don't know about that. It's been uh, thunderstorms in Perth the last oh, couple really? of weeks. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, I mean, the wind was very strong, um, which also controlled a bit of the ball. So uh, we just made sure that uh, you could just see it sometimes when it was in the air, it would drop in the last few seconds. So yeah, we had to make sure that we used uh, the ball correctly when we had it uh, into the wind. So 2018 was a tough year of football for you. 2019, you took it to another level, absolutely starred, became an All-Australian. And then this year, you've gone to another level again. What have you been working on to make sure that you now put yourself in that elite level of uh, AFLW? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously being my fourth year at Freo, um, you're completely surrounded by quality players in, uh, you know, our captain, Cara Antonio, and you've got Turbo and Hayley Miller and Epps, um, Ebony Antonio. So to have players like that around you and con- constantly, um, you know, supporting you at training, especially off the field, uh, makes a huge difference come game day. We had Cara on our show last week and she talked about the real importance that Dockers do in regards to engaging with the Indigenous community, the Noongar community over in uh, Western Australia. Is that something that's really important for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were very fortunate to wear um, Indigenous Guernsey's last uh, week and it was the first time the club uh, were able to put together that. So it was very special and, uh, yeah, we hold our culture very close to us. And 4 and nil now, uh, how do you keep your lid on things? Well, we uh, definitely go back and we review the game and we make sure we keep working. There's always things to work on. Um, so we, we enjoy the win now, but once we get back, um, we're straight on to the next round. Awesome. Well, enjoy the flight home. I hope they uh, reward you with a little bit of extra leg room. For that. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Eve, for that.
Can you tell me your name? My name's Daniel. And who do you brag for? I brag for North Melbourne, AFLW. We're here today at Arden Street. First ever AFLW game here. Pretty exciting. It is. It's, it's bloody terrific. <laughs> and you may have left your mark on the ground to celebrate that. Bloody oath I have too. <laughs> yep. Right in front of you, right there. Right on the on the uh, on the post here behind the goals. Bloody oath. What do you love about the AFLW? Well, it's, it's how can I say it? It's it's fresh, it's new, um, it's something that's going to be in years to come a spectacle. Yeah, I just love it. Um, the women playing, yeah, it should have been done that long time ago. Okay. Can you tell me your name? Uh, Pauline Hickey. Pauline Hickey. Hickey. Oh, that's an interesting surname. You are wearing a Gold Coast Suns T-shirt. Who's your daughter? Uh, Jordan Hickey. So clearly <laughs> I barrack for the Gold Coast Suns. <laughs> that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is. It's great. It's, I mean, they're playing really hard today. The first quarter was amazing. And let's hopefully, you know, the third and fourth quarter, they'll bring it back like they normally do, nice and hard. Absolutely. And what's it been like for you following Jordan's football journey? Oh, it's been pretty amazing because she never touched a football till she was 19, like a lot of girls in the AFLW. And just you have to pinch yourself that she's playing at this level because we're from Alice Springs and she's a product of Alice Springs and all the coaches and all the work that they've done in Central Australia has been amazing. And now here she is in the AFLW. Yeah, I know. We do have to pinch ourselves about that. It is, you know, unbelievable. And what do you, apart from your daughter starring for the Suns, what do you love about the AFLW? It's just great to see so many young, fit women out there having a go and just the comradeship between them all and like they just really enjoy it and like Jordy, our daughter's played sport all her life but she's found AFLW is something that's like a total fitness and that's what she's really enjoying about it and it's so many other little girls just look up to it now and see that there's an opportunity so I just think it's fantastic. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me your name? Jordan. And who do you barrack for? I barrack for Melbourne. But you were wearing a North Melbourne scarf only seconds ago. Uh, that's because I'm here with my friend Jack and he goes for North and he supplied it for me. <laughs> it wasn't by choice. What do you love about the A4W? I don't know. I could literally talk about it all the time. It's one of those things I bring up I bring up just on first dates. I, I bring it up on, as much as I can. I just love it. I love the atmosphere. Um, I like how... It's much more of a community feel, uh, like just as a spectator at the games, uh, it feels better and a little less aggressive and uh, in terms of the crowd, that is. Um, and also it's just really kind of cool that women now have like a professional league and even just four years in, we're seeing the skill levels like increase exponentially because now there's a pathway for like teenage girls that know that if they want to play footy, they can. And that's really exciting. I don't know. It got me back into footy again. I wasn't really going very much. As a, as a D supporter, the men's team wasn't giving me much for a long time. And then when the AFLW started, like, I'm fully back in it. And now I go to like women's and men's footy again. And it's, it's just got me excited about going to the football. I love yeah. Can you tell me your name? My name is Nicole. And who do you barrack for? I barrack for the Kangaroos. And here we are at Arden Street, first AFLW game. How are you feeling? Pretty excited. It's actually my first time uh, seeing an AFLW game. Wow. And I'm loving it. 
That's amazing. Yeah, such a good atmosphere. The girls are amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm it's awesome. You're converted now. I'm totally converted. <laughs> Forget about the guys. I'm all about the women. <laughs> love it. I, well, I can't ask you what you love about AFRW because you've only just started, but maybe you can tell me what you're loving so far. Uh, yeah, I just love the way the girls go in. Um, they go in really hard and, yeah, it's, it's just great. Lifelong North supporter? Yes, I started barracking for kangaroos when I was five. That's amazing. And, and here we are in 2020 with a women's team. Yeah, I don't think, uh, yeah, I think I'm 44. I don't think I could have ever really imagined that this would ever be the case. It's um, pretty crazy. But exciting. Very exciting. Very exciting. And I'm really glad that it's taking off. It's so good to see so many people here. Beautiful day. Yeah, awesome. Go footy. Go footy. <laughs> Can you sing some Gold Coast Sun song for me? Uh, I'm happy to do it. Okay. We are the sons of the Gold Coast sky. That's all I know. That's, That's beautiful. Know. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm Ali Blackburn, and you're listening. To, oh, what is it? Kick, kick like I kick you on Triple R. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, okay. I just got distracted by. Them. I was like, what am I even saying right now? <laughs> Hi, I'm Ali Blackburn, and you're listening to Kick Like a Girl on Triple R. Brilliant. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. Big thanks to uh, the Gold Coast Suns for allowing us access to Tiana Ernst, who I spoke to last week. Enjoy. All right, so I guess I just wanted to start off with, yeah, the off-field move to Gold Coast. Um, My understanding anyway that it was primarily for your work. I know you're an obstetrician, um, but I understand you're also originally from Queensland, right? Yeah, that's right. You just sort of broke up a little bit there. But, um, yeah, so the, the main reason that I had to move back to Queensland was I was at a level in my, I guess, my specialty career training. Mm-hmm. And I needed to move hospitals and I needed to really make um, some changes, I guess, just to challenge myself professionally. And uh, moving to Queensland was obviously part of that. So I knew pretty, yeah, early on uh, in the pre-season of 2019 I was at the Bulldogs um, yeah. that, yeah, I'd have to move and, and, and yeah, I had to make the hard decision to leave. Yeah, well, was it nice, I guess, in some ways to return home at least? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a born and bred Queenslander, so it sort of felt like I was going home. I had spent, you know, had spent prior to that five years in, in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I really did love the Bulldogs. Um, it was really hard to leave. Um, you know, yeah. I still love the Bulldogs and, and love the support staff and, and even the players that remain there. Um, I still keep in contact with them and are really close to them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just had to make the decision. And obviously, well, AFW is not a full-time profession. I had to still think about my professional career and, mm. and had to make the move. And from that point of view, it's been... Uh, absolutely right decision. It was been a fantastic opportunity that I've had at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital, and um, yeah, from a professional point of view, it's been the the best decision I've made. Yeah, great. Well, I'm glad you said that about the Bulldogs. Everyone listening to the show knows I'm a Bulldogs supporter, so you kind of have to say yeah. that. But <laughs> it sounded genuine anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I do really, I do really miss that club, and um, and yeah, I always sort of thought that I'd be a one club player, and yeah. I would have loved to, have, you know, continue the rest of my career with within those walls, but um, obviously just with, I guess, the, the nature and the landscape of how AFLW is, you sort of need to think about what's happening outside of the, the footy field as well and, and mm. have to make that hard decision. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we will get into that in a sec, I think. Um, the first thing I just wanted to ask, though, was, I guess, yeah, the difference between the footy culture in Victoria and Queensland. I guess you'd have a sense of this growing up and then having moved here for a while and now going back. Um, yeah, what are the biggest differences? 
Yeah, so obviously starting my initial sort of preliminary, um, I guess, football career in Queensland before I moved to Melbourne, uh, it was relatively unrecognised. You know, it was never in the papers. Mm. Probably wasn't a lot of people talking about, particularly AFL women's at the time. And obviously in Victoria, everyone's footy mad. And so it's uh, um, constantly a conversation um, within the workplace, within people on the street. Um, Everyone, you know, knows something about footy. Um, so that was probably the biggest change I noticed going to Melbourne, and then coming back. Thankfully, it's been really um, quite um, quite pleasing and surprising to see that 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 I guess um, understanding and awareness of, of women's footy has grown significantly mm. in Queensland after being away for five years. Mm. And now, lots of people are asking me about it um, in the workplace. Um, lots of people know who the you know the Gold Coast Suns are, who the you know the Brisbane Lions AFL women's team is, and, and yeah. in that team. So it's nice to see that they has been improvement in the um, recognition and awareness and media coverage um, in Queensland. Yeah, I was going to say you're in quite a unique position, I guess, having, you know, um, had the five years here, you can actually understand the more recent changes, I guess, in recognition that have happened in Queensland. And I guess, yeah, down here, we probably don't have as much of an understanding of how the Gold Coast have contributed to that picture of football in Queensland as well. That's right. So the Gold Coast Suns AFLW team is the first ever professional women's team on the Gold Coast. That's pretty big and and part of history within the Gold Coast. And the Gold Coast community has definitely embraced us as, as I guess, the first sort of elite uh, female sporting team in the area. And I'm particularly impressed by the Gold Coast Bulletin and their um, their media exposure of, of the team. Tell, every day they seem to have a, um, a little story about one of the players or about the game on the weekend uh, in the newspaper, and that's fantastic to see that they've really embraced mm. I guess, us as part of the community. And um, and yeah, we've definitely felt that when they've come to come to watch us on the weekends as well, we've really you know embraced and and, and felt that passion that everyone is displaying mm. at the moment. Yeah, it's great. I mean, that's something I'm really passionate about is seeing the coverage match, I guess, the um, passion and enthusiasm the fans have and the growth in participation. So that's really nice to hear. Um, Tell us, though, yeah, about the club, I guess. You know, you've won over a lot of fans um, over at least your first few outings, obviously been, I think, more competitive than some of the experts predicted. You had the draw against the Lions, the win against the Tigers, who everyone was talking up. Um, <laughs> first of all, I guess, has it surprised you or did you expect to be where you are um, now? I, I don't think it surprised anyone within the inner sanctum of the Gold, of the Gold Coast Suns. Um, you know, I've been really impressed by the the elite um, natures of both the off-field and on-field staff and, and their way that they've been able to train us to the best of their ability um, to really get the most and the best out of every one of the players. Mm. So I don't think, from our point of view, it surprised us. Um, and we were confident that we could be competitive with the rest of the teams, including the teams that are not the expansion teams. Um, mm. And yeah, I think probably just going in with no expectation has and just really just trying I guess rise to the challenge has been sort of our, uh, I guess our sort of approach every week and really enjoying taking people by surprise and being that underdog. Yeah, I was going to say it's always a bit easier when there's lower expectations, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, you might have answered this already, but what do you think it is about the, the culture of the club or what do you think has enabled you to perform as well as you have? Yeah, I think so. I think the first thing is that they've done a fantastic job at building a list of players um, which they all complement each other in, in, in their strengths. 
Um, and Lacey particularly and, and uh, Fiona McLeod have really, I guess, encouraged us to be able to showcase our, our weapons and our strengths on and off the field. Mm. And together, by bringing all our strengths, um, we've been able to sort of, um, I guess, build this off-field culture, but then obviously on-field performance that mm. is pretty exciting and probably something that, you know, people hadn't had thought would be uh, possible. Um, and really, I guess, probably an exciting and bold game plan based around those players and their strengths. Mm. Um, a lot of the players, you know, we didn't have really significant, you know, big names in the team in terms of when they were recruiting. Uh, James yeah. Sanderson, obviously a fantastic midfielder at the Lions and obviously at North Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, Leah Kasler and, and Sam Burgo bringing their, their leadership and, and defence um, experience at the line. We really didn't have many other big names mm. compared to some of the other expansion teams. And uh, we've just gone about quietly um, what we we feel is, is will make it successful and mm. um, and really determined to, I guess, yeah, uh, bring bring everything in the next couple of rounds and hopefully take a lot more people by surprise now on field performances. Mm, indeed. You had a great crowd um, for your first game too, over 7,000. I think, you know, people here like to slag off at the Gold Coast and say that you don't get many people along to games. But I think the first elite women's team has obviously proved that there is that investment and passion. Yeah, it was a fantastic atmosphere. It was a, you know, we were worried initially there was going to be some rain that day and Mm. and that might impact upon the, the crowd, but it ended up being perfect weather that first um, home game, um, you know, a few Richmond fans in the crowd, which always makes it fun, but, um, you know, primarily just lots of passionate Queenslanders and Gold Coast um, people that were just passionate about footy being back, obviously, but then obviously about having this first ever women's team and, mm. and definitely when that siren went and we got our first ever win, um, there were a lot of girls in that team, particularly ones that had played in other teams, in other clubs previously, saying that that was probably one of the best wins that we've that they've ever been involved in. Yeah. Um, just because of the the way that the the crowd reacted and the and the you know just they were just you know pushing us across the line in that last quarter mm. um, and that atmosphere and that feeling to be part of history I guess on the Gold Coast was something that we were yeah really really grateful to be part of. Yeah, it was amazing. I have to say, like, pretty much every neutral supporter I know was um, cheering you on. It was great to watch. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> um, Actually, on that note, I wanted to talk to you about, I feel like there's a bit of a new cult hero at the Suns in uh, <laughs> Kate Sermon. <laughs> um, do you know the interview that I'm talking about with Dane Zorka? Yes, Zorko? I do. It's probably one of my favourite videos <laughs> in the last 12 months. Yeah, so Spud's, Spud's an awesome girl. So her nickname's Spud, and she's had that nickname since she was a childhood. Yeah. Uh, so since she was a, since, you know, since her childhood, and um, uh, yeah, just just one of my probably my one of my favourite people at the club. Um, and you know what you saw in that interview is probably exactly what she's like. What it is exactly what she's like wow. in real life. That sort of passion that came through, and she's such a bloody hard worker. Yeah. Uh, and really reward for effort because she was you know a, a significant contributor to our success on the weekend. Yeah, well, and she even had a chunder during the uh, break. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's so it's such funny. That's it's she's you know she'll tell you how it is, and uh, there's sort of no filter or anything like that. And she just will put everything out on the line, and she'll work as hard as she, as she absolutely can, and, and wants to get the most out of her footy. And um, yeah, she's definitely going to be a cult hero moving forward. <laughs> I love it. I just, yeah, I've watched that video so many times, taking yeah. the mic, when she's like, I'm stoked. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah, that's exactly what she's like. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, 
are there any other characters or potential cult heroes that our listeners should know about at the Suns? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm hoping over the next couple of games we really see some of those young kids stand up. Um, so we obviously saw Clinda Howarth on the weekend mm. stand up, Rising Star nomination now, and kick three amazing goals and, and you know, the draw against the Brisbane Lions really backbone of, of her efforts. Mm. So she, I think she's definitely, she's just absolute talent and just raw talent and give her a couple more years in the, in the, in the system and she'll be just as dominant mm. as a forward as, you know, Katie Brennan or a Jazzy Garner. Um, some of the other young kids, Serene Watson, Ellie, Haps, Ellie Hampson. Ellie Hampson, we nicknamed the Bull. Yeah. And she really, once she gets going in the midfield, um, she can actually be a game changer. And obviously coming off the back of a ankle injury, um, she's probably a little bit underdone and just building up her confidence again. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what she can do and, and her impact within the contest yeah. over the next couple of games. So, yeah, watch those, those names, I reckon. Great. Well, yeah, I think, like I said earlier, I think the Suns are already a fan favourite amongst neutrals, so <laughs> it's good that we've got a few specific ones to look forward to. Um, now, I just want to take a slightly different turn because I know you've spoken a bit about this before with the ABC anyway, but um, about work-life balance in the AFLW, I just I feel it's coming a little to a head in this season, you know, just with Fridge retiring on the verge of pre-season. You know, there's players taking unpaid leave or um, quitting other sports or leaving the sport for other sports. Um, Beck Goddard spoke about being unhappy about Jess Wooshner working on the docks at 3am 19 days out from the regular season. Um, is that something that you're conscious of and you think, yeah, is sort of uh, hitting a crisis point at this at this season? Um, yeah, I think probably obviously four seasons in, um, it is getting really close to a tipping point in terms of um, what I guess just, yeah, what it, it takes to continue this balance and mm. four years into the balance, I can definitely tell from my personal experience, it's it's really tough and each year gets harder. Mm. Obviously, the increasing demands um, of on us, not only from, you know, the media and, and, and the community to continue to improve, but obviously from, from the AFL and, and mm. Our clubs to continue to improve and and improve our standard of elite um, elitism and and be the athlete that we you know the best athlete we can be. Mm. And then on top of that, you're trying to balance often full time professional um, work or or study. And year after year, um, girls are, are taking their leave and using their leave to be able to, I guess, balance mm. the demands of AFRW and, and that does take its toll after after a while and I think this year we've seen more girls have to step away from the game. Bianca Jackson obviously mm. stepping away from Melbourne um, just because of the demands of, of the um, police academy. Mm. Steph Chiocci taking unpaid leave from her teaching career um, and I think we need to have more conversations and we need to have much more awareness about I guess what these girls are having to balance um, Mm. We're not all just sort of sitting there, you know, just, um, I don't know, just working on our on our craft or in the gym or running or anything like that. We've actually got to balance, you know, majority of the time outside of the club. Mm. Um, we're trying to balance the professional professional work. Um, and at the, at the end of the day, we're not getting paid enough at the moment to support the rest of our, our life, particularly with it the rest of the year. So we do really re- rely on that other income yeah. um, to be able to survive. Mm. 
I, I guess it occurs to me as well that, you know, with the competition being under scrutiny and we know there's been trolls, there's been sexism around the AFLW, I feel like it's almost like this burden that the players take on as well, you know. It's like you have a bad game, it's not just you had a bad game, it's women can't play footy, you know. I feel yeah. like that's an extra stress that the players take into the competition sometimes. Definitely, yeah, and it's a scrutiny that has been, I guess, um, pretty apparent in the, in the media in the last couple of weeks mm. it just reflects that um, is that there's more pressure on us to, to be that elite athlete but we don't have the time or the resources or the remuneration to be able to actually um, you know, give an, as much time as we need to be able to do that so we sort of end up stretching ourselves you know, very thinly mm. um, to be able to try to do that and there, there's particularly over the next 12 months to 24 months I think there's going to be more girls that are, are stepping away from the game because it's unfortunately at that level where it, it just becomes too hard um, mm. to continue that balance mm. um, without, with, with the current, you know, set up with the, the support and remuneration that we're getting at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you are on Kick Like a Girl, Triple R's AFLW radio program. We're just talking to Tiana Ernst from Gold Coast Suns and um, I've been asking about work-life balance in AFLW coming to a head. Um, if you don't mind, would you be able to tell us a bit, I guess, about your personal experience? Um, I know you, as an obstetrician you spoke with the ABC at least a couple of years ago or last year, I can't remember which, but about um, taking annual leave. Is that something that you're still doing or are you having to balance, um, you know, unsociable hours at work? Oh, yeah, so um, I've had a pretty big last 18 months. So I took all my annual leave during the 2019 season. I played for the Western Bulldogs. Mm. Um, so that meant that I had devoted six weeks during the season that I could just work, focus on being the best athlete I could be. Yeah. Um, uh, but that meant that for the rest of the year I had no holidays or you know time for, for a bit of a break. And so that definitely took its toll on me. And then the over, you know, the constant year after year of doing that kind of um, process of not actually having a break mm. then wears, wears pretty thin on you. Uh, this year, well, I guess over the pre-season of, of, of starting at the Gold Coast Suns, um, I've balanced a 40-hour work week at minimum. Wow. Sometimes I had sort of, you know, between 45 and 50-hour work week and then travelling to the Gold Coast, which is an hour. Oh um, I had night shifts that I balanced over Christmas in the January period. Um, so often I would leave training and go straight to a night shift and then sleep during the day and then wow. get up and go to night shift again or go back to training. Oh my um, and I guess probably four years on, I've been much more efficient and organised in my ability to maintain that balance, and that's something that I've continued, you know, for the last four years. Uh, but the difference is probably in this in-season time, I'm not going to take my annual leave because yeah. I, I need a break after this season. And so I'm thankful enough that I'm actually writing the roster at work as of February or the start of the season. So I've been able to um, kindly um, ensure that I've got some lighter duties on during the day. So at least I'm not, you know, standing on my feet operating all day um, in the lead up to a game. Um, that I've sort of got some shifts that are probably a little bit, um, a little bit less demanding on on my body. That's trying to recover, obviously, between the between the games. Mm. Um, and then I'll hopefully have, a, you know, at least a couple of weeks of holidays after the season, which is something that we need to have because often then we go into a quaffle or VFL yeah. um, and play, you know, a period of that season and then it's all of a sudden it's the start of pre-season again and off we go again. So compared mm. to the men who get a good, you know, designated eight-week, six-week mm. break, um, I, I think you'll find a majority of, 
uh, women that have been in the system for the last four years have had very little break um, mm. during that period. Yeah, it's just it's amazing to hear it, but you wouldn't, you know, I don't think the listeners realise how many women would have similar stories to tell. I don't think yours is that unique, which is what's really difficult, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely not the unique one. I, I even at the Gold Coast, I know there's uh, one of the players from um, Canberra left a pretty high executive role, you know, within. Um, corporate life and is now, you know, trying to struggle through, you know, obviously the pay that she's getting from AFRW and then working in a, um, in a clothing store to try and get by. Yeah. And, you know, these are sacrifices that girls are making, uprooting their lives, particularly if they've had to change clubs or, or move to be able to join these clubs, uh, are, are significant and it means that, you know, there's big changes in their lives that mm. they're having to sort of balance on top of everything else. Mm. Um, last question on this. I mean, it might seem obvious, but, you know, is the solution just to try and get this competition uh, to a professional space as soon as possible? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, the, that's the aim. And as to how quickly we can get that, um, mm. obviously there was, you know, a lot of, a lot of kickback at the end of last year from a number of players about trying to get that quickly, yeah. uh, done quickly. And, and, and obviously for all the same arguments that I've, you know, we've just had about now. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see it as soon as possible. I don't think the reality is that it's going to be within the next three years. Yeah. Um, and that that's really disappointing and, and it's sad because you will see players that are on that sort of tipping point um, mm. potentially consider, you know, retiring. Amanda Frugia said that she just couldn't give as much as she needed to to be the best player. And um, I definitely, you know, what she said resonated even within my own personal experiences. It's every year it's getting harder to be able to give as much as you can when you're, you know, you're stretching yourself so thin. So um, hopefully there's you know more support coming from both the AFL and the AFL Players Association in being able to support players as much as possible to yeah. keep up the balance. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think the more sort of awareness that people have about what girls are doing, the better yeah. in this space. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you for sharing all of that because it's really, really helpful um, and hopefully shifts the conversation along a bit in that direction. Um, yeah. Let's just move forward with one last question. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been already a great season from my perspective anyway for the Gold Coast Suns, but what would you define as a successful season for both you and the club um, looking back at the end of the year? Yeah, so I think from the Gold Coast Suns' point of view, from a club perspective, their real main aim has been to become, I guess, the most integrated and inclusive club within within Australia. And I think they're on a, a very good um, track to be able to achieve that. And you know, lots of people could say that their club is the most inclusive club. And that's what I think a lot of clubs want to try and do. And I think it's probably, I guess, the feeling when you walk in the doors, it's um, when you walk in the doors of the Gold Coast Suns, it's a really open plan club. You know, you can see all the desks of all the off-field staff and the commercial and the business staff. They're all sitting there and you can see them, you know, right in front of you. There's no one sort of tucked away. Even Stewie Doo is, is right there, you know, the, the coach of the of the AFL men's team. And um, there's that real sort of inclusive, that inclusive family atmosphere, which is something that I know that they're trying to drive. And then obviously continuing that growth on-field, um, you know, just trying to get as many people aware of AFL within, AFLW within Queensland, but then obviously the Gold Coast and trying to really continue that growth mm. um, of the, uh, the female space within the Gold Coast is probably, I guess, the main goal for the for the club. Mm. Personally, I just, I'm just keen to play my role within the team. Um, 
yeah, I don't really need any spotlight or any limelight or sort of you know accolades. I just like to play my role in utilising my strengths, which is probably my speed and my endurance. And yeah. I've been really thankful that I've been um, able to play in a couple of different positions that I've never previously been given opportunity to at other clubs. Mm. Um, so that's been really exciting to sort of, I guess, um, you know, increase increase my ability to play in different positions and at the end of the day, just be a role model for those younger girls that are you know, just starting out within their mm. AFLW career and hopefully set them up so that they have a really good foundation to be the best elite athlete that they can be moving forward. Right. That one's very well said. <laughs> this is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. So we better get cracking because we've got the Darcy Vessio Smash the Patriarchy segment to get through. This week I wanted to talk about uh, the double header at Marvel Stadium because, um, you know, some of us were worried when it was initially announced because it was announced, the State of Origin men's game was announced to be on the same night as the Collingwood Melbourne game. And then, you know, it all seemed like it was very worked out on behalf of the AFL with having the double header and they were both going to play Bush Fire fundraiser games and, you know, so. I thought, you know, it's going to be a good night. I tuned in on the radio when I was coming home from work because I wanted to hear the women's game and it wasn't broadcast on SEN. They were just previewing the men's game. You could hear the women's game in the background. You could hear the siren. You could hear people kicking the ball. And they only paused to briefly mention Ash Brazel's knee injury and I just thought it was really extremely disappointing and insulting. I definitely feel the same way. It's... Well, it's like they treated the AFLW game as a second-class game, and it's not like we haven't had months and months of mindless footy chat mm. by the blokes on the radio oh, no. in the lead-up to these games. So for them just to rehash a lot of the old talking points they've had for two hours mm. about the men's football in the upcoming season when there was an actual AFLW game, four points being played, that was also still being advertised as part of the bushfire relief as well. It was just felt so disrespectful like yeah yeah i don't know what else to say i thought the, the media should have done better and maybe the afl should hold the account, uh, account. A, the media yeah. to account to yeah. do better yeah there's no reason why you can't preview both games beforehand commentate the women's game and then commentate the men's game i just think you know those boxes are set up you're facing the ground they're literally facing the women's game ignoring it it's just not good enough it's, it's really not. really poor so that is my two cents for Smash Patriarchy this week. Yeah, and well, what, what's the next step? How do we ensure that there's a lot more respect? There are more double headers happening later on in the year, round yep. eight. So is this going to happen again? Are we going to have the men's commentators talking about men's football over the top of women's AFLW games that are being positioned as curtain raisers again? We need to make sure that it's fixed before that because our game deserves the respect yeah. that it's earning. Yeah, and who makes these decisions as an individual station, radio management? I know there were other broadcasters covering the game that didn't have the commentary on for the women's game either. So I agree. I feel like it's one of those things where the AFL needs to step in and go, hang on, this is a genuine doubleheader. We want as much attention on the women's game as the men's. It needs to be broadcast. Otherwise, they're just suggesting it's just not as... Uh not being elevated to where the AFL men's is, and, and we know that's not right. Well, that's why a lot of people don't like curtain raises, so-called curtain raises, because it implies that it's a second-class game before the real game, and that's how it was treated in the way it was broadcast. 
Anyway, um, we need to do a little preview of next week and focus a bit on the ladder because we haven't talked about it as much. Um, Should we go with the ladder first? Let's go. So we've got the Brisbane Lions undefeated on top of Conference A, 14 points from four games. Uh, Kangaroos have – sorry, Brisbane are undefeated, but they've had a draw. They've had a draw. Yeah, I'm like, how does that equal 14? It does not. Um, And the Kangaroos have had the three wins with 12 points and then the Crows are – just hanging in there in the top three with percentage over the GWS Giants. So, yeah, this year top three make finals. If Mm -hmm. people remember, the top team will have a week off from each conference and then they play crossover games. So A2 will play B3 and B2 will play A3. Um, Is that what I just said? No, I don't think so. Conference B, we've got Frio, Melbourne and Carlton in those three spots at the moment. If the latter were to end like that, do you think that's a fair... I think Conference B, that's the Fremantle, Melbourne, Carlton, definitely front runners. Collingwood's not far behind. Mm. So that could chop and change. It would, would be very unlikely Fremantle wouldn't make the finals by now. But Melbourne, Carlton, Collingwood, all pretty much on an even level. But with mm. Conference A, I think it's fascinating that Adelaide aren't really firing on all cylinders yet. No. Giants are fading. Gold Coast are hanging in there. And the fact that they had that draw with Brisbane, giving them that two-point difference, mm. um, Potentially, they might get that third spot. There's a real good chance that the expansion Gold Coast team could come in third behind Kangaroos and Brisbane, depending on whether Adelaide can finally find their form. I would love that, actually. I think they, I honestly think they've deserved it on form so far. So let's see how it goes. All right. We haven't got very long. We've only got a few minutes. So can we do some quick fire tips for this round? I should say that it's really like a regional rural round because the first game's in far north Queensland in Mackay, the Suns and Geelong. Then we've got a game back down south in Hobart. Then we've got Wagga Wagga for GWS Richmond, Morwell in Gippsland for Collingwood Bulldogs and Casey Fields, which may as well be We count that rural. as country, yep. <laughs> All right, so uh, quick tips from M Fox. Uh, Gold Coast, Geelong. Gold Coast in Mackay. Yep, I think so too. Kangaroos, Adelaide, Hobart. Uh, I think North Melbourne will have the edge on this one, but Adelaide need to win, so this is going to be fascinating. Mm, yes. I don't know how I feel about that game yet. May, oh, I think Kangaroos maybe just. Uh, GWS Richmond. Uh, uh, Gi- Wagga Wagga. Uh, Wagga Wagga. Um, Giants probably to get their season back on track. Yeah, haven't been as impressed with the Tigers so far. Uh, Carlton St Kilda, Icon Park. That should be a good one Saturday night. Oh, goodness. I'm going to tip St Kilda. <laughs> I'm going to tip them. I actually tipped them 60 seconds into the game uh, yesterday, so but it didn't come to fruition. But this time I think St Kilda, they're not going to let another one lose mm. like that again. I'm going Carlton. Uh, Collingwood, Western Bulldogs in Gippsland, Morwell. I don't think your doggies have much of a chance. Oh, Sorry, Kate. Well, no, not after last week, I wouldn't say. Uh, Melbourne, West Coast at Casey Fields. Middle um, of nowhere. I think Melbourne will win. I don't think West Coast would be that happy about having to fly to Melbourne and drive another two hours to get to Casey. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I don't mean to be rude, but Casey Fields, you've got to have a car. If you go by public transport, it's just impossible to get to. The ground's so windy. There's no seat. I just, no. Um, <laughs> they've done a lot of work renovating it, I think, so I don't think we're getting it moved from there anytime soon. Frio, Brisbane. Game of the round. It's going to be so good. Fremantle Oval. Well, they're both undefeated. Mm-hmm. Um, Brisbane. Brisbane? Mm. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, we need to give a quick shout out to our tipping leaders, 
Jake Simpson's on top with 40, no, sorry, 23 points, a margin of 47. Josh Clark, Sadie McDonald, Gemma Bastiani, our uh, previous guest, is in fourth, and Claire Flynn. So well done, everyone, participating in the tipping. I am currently 45th <laughs> of 79. And Cinta, who helps us out, my partner, is 79th of 79. That's good. Everyone's, you know, that's a prestigious <laughs> award, getting the spoon in a tipping contest. <laughs> yeah, you usually get a, not pri- easy. You get a prize for it normally. Yeah, it's not easy to come last. No, that is very true. Uh, we have to sign off. Big thank you, Emily Fox. Thank you again for your post-match interviews and being here today. Thank you, Kate. Always a pleasure. This is presenter Kate O'Halloran. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Kick Like a Girl, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R during the AFLW season. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Kick Like a Girl Facebook page, Twitter or website.